0: you stupid bitch yeah you're a stupid bitch you stupid bitch. (laughs) welcome to this week's episode of stupid (laughs) bitches say what the aussie podcast about everything and nothing but always with wine and your hosts sky lee collett and sean hipkins
1: This week, it's true crime, and we're stopping in the merry old land of England. Call, Governor. Call. It's fucking... Anyway, strap yourselves in as we recount some truly terrible crimes that took place in the land of the Crown. Out. Sean covers the devastating investigation of the Sower murders, the case of two missing 10-year-old best friends that ends in tragedy. Ooh, uh. while, I, Cara, <laughs> while I cover Sharon Carr, a.k.a. the Devil's Daughter, Britain's youngest female
0: murderer. Jolly, Roger.
1: What you drinking, Sean, being a hipkin? Well, you
0: stupid bitch. This has been a long time in the making for us both. We shall wanted we? to, um, yes, we shall. So, in vivo, <laughs> you finish it off.
1: Sevenly.
0: SJP also known as Jessica
1: Parker. Savignon Blanc, please.
0: It's a twenty twenty one bottle. <laughs> There's a twenty twenty one. It's not twenty twenty two. It's a twenty twenty one.
1: No.
0: So we've been talking about. We wanted to sample SJP's wines. Together
1: multiple times throughout season. This is the season finale, really, isn't
0: it? It is, yeah. It's our <laughs> official season finale of season four. But I think we wanted to do this back in season three or season three, We did. We had
1: big plans, big plans. Did.
0: But then we found out it's also a low alcohol option. Yeah, so we're boo. Like, boo. Boo hey, stupid bitch. Also,
1: so- um, total disclosure, I have drunk it before, wasn't a huge fan, but I'm gonna give it another shot. Also, Ooh. um this was $13 at the first choice.
0: That's reasonable.
1: The first time I looked at it, it was $20. Um, when I actually brought it for the first time, I got it for 15 but they've dropped it down to 13 I think, because it's so shit.
0: Mm, well, it's not... Well, from my personal taste test just had then, it's not shit. Like, it's drinkable. It just tastes like apple juice.
1: You can taste the severe lack of alcohol yes. in it, can't you? It's yeah. like... It's like everything that we're against. It's almost like drinking no alcohol wine.
0: Water wine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me have a go. Hang on. Just just let me prepare the palate.
0: Here we go. Here we
1: go. First (laughs) drink of the night. Excuse me. Where's the booze?
0: I know. It just tastes like watered down wine. Watered down Mm -hmm. apple juice. Yeah. So that is the reason why we weren't too enthusiastic about drinking it, because, as you know, dear listeners, mm. we do like to get pissed whilst podcasting. And Look,
1: SJP, SJP is almost a third member of this podcast in some ways, isn't she? Because she does feature a little bit from time she to time. She
0: does, but now I feel so, like Samantha to her. What's her name? Carrie. You
1: yeah, were totally judging after, her drinking, for wine. after
0: drinking that wine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not going down great for me, but I just also ate my dinner.
0: Yeah, it's not terrible. It's just not good.
1: <laughs> and on a Friday afternoon, after like a good. long fucking week, we want something good, don't we? We're like, yeah. brr,
0: Yes, but we do like to try and keep somewhat sober during our true crime ones. So,
1: so this will certainly do that, apparent. won't it?
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be well hydrated after this podcast.
1: Then <laughs> put a dash of sods in it.
0: Oh, actually, I might even put a dash of fucking vodka or something in there.
1: <laughs> oh my God. And then you spew. <laughs> and then I
0: bum it. Um, How should we then, please?
1: Look, I have a truly funny tale to tell. You're going to be in stitches in a few moments. Oh God. So there was many things that have happened this week that I could have shared with our listeners this evening, but I, I, picked, I picked something that occurred this morning. Um, as you know, I like walking my dog in the early hours of the morning and lately it's getting quite warm in the morning. So I have to go super early and usually it's just me. My dog's a bit of a psycho. He's still a baby. He's not quite two yet. Um, so it's, it's very jumpy. Wow. No, it'll be two on Boxing Day. He was born oh. Boxing Day two years ago. Yes, yes. Um, I adore him to death, but he's he's social in the, like I, I, I want to say he's not a people person, which is actually not true. He is a people person, but he just wants to kill you with kindness, like he wants to <laughs> lick you and jump on you and get in your lap, and he's a huge, giant, half husky, half red cattle dog. Um, so it, it's, it, it's very just, outgoing. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> friendly um anyway so he's like a bit difficult in the mornings to get ready like once he's walking and he's been walking for about 10 minutes he's chills out but generally in the morning even trying to get like his, his lead on him and his little brace that he wears under his chest and under his legs to sort of harness him it's just such a nightmare to get him into it he's just so excited, excited. Yeah. um anyway so we go off on our morning walk and it's lovely and we had a few incidents with, with people walking their dogs where I had to literally reef him back um, would never hurt another dog, would just lick them to death and yeah. cry when he's trying to. But because he's quite big, people are, are afraid of him. So I have to sort of, you know, tug him back because people go, ah, don't bring him near my dog.
0: He'll cujo.
1: <laughs> anyway, so walking, 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 um and walking across a bit of a driveway. And my, it was just like a little bit of a slanted driveway.
0: And my foot,
1: my foot took a little bit of a turn at the ankle and I went, oh. Wow. Um, but just at that moment, my dog decided to pull. So <laughs> if I had just turned my ankle a slight amount, I would have caught myself and regained my balance. But he yanked on the lead at the same time. And I oh. went arse over, face first, hands captured me, legs out from under, complete planking on someone's driveway, on the main road. Um, Did you hurt and- yourself? I hurt myself severely. I'll oh, get to no. that. There's more to the story though. My dog, who is also quite a pussy, um, freaked out and thought, I think someone had pushed me over. Like he thought someone was attacking me because I fell to the ground. He's so used to me on the ground like that. So he started crying and whimpering, trying to protect me and like check that I was okay and running oh. circles around me whilst pulling the leash even tighter and dragging me further and further <laughs> down the driveway. Whilst I was still stunned (laughs) from the whole fall, and I was planked, and he's dragging me, and I'm sort of like doing these ones like a like a seal almost, like fish out of water. done someone's driveway and it wasn't like the main main road Ricketts road it was the one that comes off it but goes down to all the estates so everyone's on their way to work and (laughs) cars driving and i'm sure that people were looking out of their windows or just about to leave their front door and went oh oh look at this woman
0: Uh, (laughs) when there's a magpie attack they're probably going look (laughs) at that woman
1: scenario um so i've taken a great big giant chunk off the top of my finger like it was full had a flap of skin hanging off like flesh all the tops of my fingers are like it's blisters like it's blisters because i got dragged along like a a driveway almost um so this one cop the brunt of it but all the other fingers, like all the pads here are all like worn off. Yeah. This hand's got a big slice down it. A
0: and decent a exfoliation.
1: Taking me. There's a massive chunk out of my knee.
0: Oh my God, you stupid, poor, stupid bitch. I'm picturing, you know, when people are drunk and they go to dance and do the back spin, <laughs> like break dance, and someone grabs their legs and spins them. I'm picturing something similar to that. Imagine that, but on a front
1: plank, (laughs) like a plank where my arms aren't supporting me up. My chin's almost, it's lucky I didn't graze my chin. No. Because that's how close I was to the ground with my dog jumping on me and crying. Like I literally had to console him and sit him down and give him long pats whilst, like, in the, the scene of the of the accident, without being able to just hurry along and just pretend like nothing happened. Because he was that beside himself, because he thought I was injured. Well, I was, um, but I think he thought something had attacked me yeah, or someone had out. So scared, I was like,
0: spooked him as well. I was
1: like, patting. I was like, it's okay, mummy's fine. I'm okay. Look, I'm okay. Did See? anybody
0: ask if you were okay? <laughs> Oh, no.
1: yeah, I don't think any pedestrian people walking around saw what happened because um, I couldn't see it Because that's the first thing you do when something like that happens. I right? have to you, who saw? You look uh, 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 and you get wait for the well, you wait for the people to come up and be like, "Are you okay? Can I help you? Can I help you up?" Like, oh, I'd rather just help <laughs> myself actually because I'm so look away, embarrassed. Look away.
0: <laughs> you can help me by fucking <laughs> off right now.
1: <laughs> anyway, it was delightful, and oh. I was about. Halfway through my walk, which usually takes me about an hour, an hour and a 10 minutes. So I still had to walk, and there was no shortcut I could take. I was like on the furthest point away from my house. So I had to walk all with my flapping skin. And it was yeah. really windy this morning. So oh, my no. was
0: going with the wind. It was super windy this morning. And today it's gone cold again after yeah. the sweltering heat. We've gone back to fucking cool That's weather. Been, again. The weather's
1: been lovely. I've been loving it. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it was um and I thought of you and I didn't want to tell you about what happened because I was actually going to message you and be like you're never going to believe what happened and show you my war wounds. But then I like, thought if I do that it. the shock value of telling you tonight will be no. gone. So I was like, no, I'm going to save it. I'm going to I'm going to sit on this all day <laughs> Thank in preparation. You for it.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. I do I am glad you gave me the um, the full full story first on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, you stupid bitch. How's your week been? Also, this wine is terrible.
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) I repeat, the wine is terrible.
1: Like, fuck, I only paid $13 plus.
0: Yeah, I got mine on special like about a month and a half ago now, I think. And I've still got her prosecco to try and get through.
1: I think the prosecco was slightly like I think I actually threw this one out. I drank a bit of it when I was drunk one night and just got it out. Um and ended up throwing
0: it out. Oh, when you're drunk, this ain't ever gonna do the trick. No, you're gonna be nah. like,
1: I'd rather but drink water, trip. mate.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd
1: drink apple juice.
0: <laughs> um, my week's been good, you stupid bitch. We've um we've got Chew Lipa tomorrow. So by the time <gasps> we hear this episode, it'll be I did well not after know was tomorrow. Mm-hmm.
1: I hate you so much. And I could have brought tickets and I would have been in the perfect position right now to be going tomorrow night yes, with you if I had gotten flapping
0: all. We have yes. um, we did and because we did ask you about it, but you were in the midst of still living in the central coast, The Borders hadn't even
1: officially opened yet, remember? This is
0: true. They were but hedging we about the, whether they would. When Ticketex sent out the tickets last week, I think, you know, they wait until beforehand, mm. just before to send them. We actually booked them in September last year. That's how long ago it was. But, yeah, time's flown. So we're looking forward to seeing her. It's going to be great. We're going with, Vinnie and I are going with Maria and taking little Heidi, 10-year-old Heidi, to her first concert. So it's going to be fun.
1: She's going to love that.
0: Yes, it's going to be good. Um, but we had a bit of an animal catastrophe, out <laughs> in the pan, um, a couple of nights ago. We had a The Great Cat escape. Linus Cream jumped over to the neighbor's balcony and we couldn't get her back she just was there and she even though there's a little gap between our balcony and theirs what she'd done is she jumped on our banister from the fridge on the you know the glass thing and had gotten across that way so we moved the pots and all that shit unblocking the gap so she could get through but she's put on a little bit of weight lately I think so she couldn't really sort of Get up the urge to get through. The neighbors weren't home. So even when we we couldn't go in and get it through the balcony, we're thinking, what the fuck are we going to do? We're there for 45 minutes, toys, cat food, (laughs) come on, come on, trying to get her across. She was just distressed, meowing, and all this stuff. You could see she was Uh... distressed. So we know the person who lives on the other side of the balcony that ours connects to.
1: Yeah. So he
0: messaged him and said, can you just stick your head over the balcony? It'll scare her. And she might come through the gap. And it worked. She came over and she's like, Oh, hello, darling. And Lina shut herself, ran right into the gap, and then was pushing herself through. But she had to get on her side, wriggle. It took about five seconds for her to get through. And I didn't want to oh, grab
1: no. her. No.
0: I, I didn't want to grab her and reef her because I thought she'd go back the other way. But fuck me, that battered cat. So, yes, the um, outside is out of bounds now and supervised again. It's about the 12th time we've enforced it but yeah so that was a bit distressing for us but I did also get my I also got my care bear in the mail today um yesterday which was great which
1: is super cute um you know my cat
0: swannies
1: swatties from our um dining room window down out onto you know how the bus my parents bus that they're selling is parked next so swannies from there onto the bus onto the ground but he used oh. to at the old house jump from the veranda down to the ground anyway. So he only really jumps on the bus because of convenience. Like it's he'll there. jump two stories. Like, Holy down shit! Down
0: yeah, down yeah. You now our um, we are a bit petrified of one of them going over. We don't know if that's survive from our height.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. That's way too high.
0: It's very scary.
1: But are supposed to land on their feet though.
0: They are. Whether it breaks and cripples them (laughs) they still are meant to be on land on their feet (laughs) (laughs) so who's going first tonight in our uk merry old english true crime special a last stop so who's going first this week you stupid bitch do you want to lead us in our english soiree of murder
1: sure i'd love to i'd love to thanks
0: hello guv
1: so bad. I was actually trying to do an English accent, like trying to sort of try, but I'm terrible at accent, so I didn't even bother in that intro. Anyway. Uh, okay. So, actually, I think mine will be reasonably short, to be honest. It's it's about two pages, yeah. Um, but have you heard of Sharon Car?
0: I don't think so. I did um, look at when I was getting the little write-up together. I had a look. Oh, actually. But... I may, look, as you tell the story, it may reignite some memories from a true crime episode. Being the youngest female murderer in Britain, I'm sure she's featured in a couple of TV specials.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's quite shocking. So uh, Sharon Louise Carr, also referred to as the devil's daughter, is Britain's youngest female murderer. She was just 12 years old. Jesus. When she brutally stabbed 18 year old Katie Ratcliffe, a stranger to her, as she walked home from a nightclub in Surrey in June of 1992, stabbing her more than 30 times.
0: They're the scariest ones, aren't they? And I mean, obviously all murder is scary, but when it's just random like that.
1: It gets worse. Like she's truly, you know, Fucked got up. some got some messed up issues, yeah. Um, it took investigators over two years to determine Carr as a suspect and that was oh. basically, and I'll get to this bit, because she had confessed and told people about it because she couldn't keep her mouth shut, um, based on the placement of the body and the sexual mutilation, leading police to believe initially that a man oh. was responsible um, for the crime instead of a 12-year-old girl. That's how brutal it was.
0: And, look, I could be jumping to assumptions and all that, but if it's sexually, if there's sexual mutation and shit like that, that girl's had a rough upbringing.
1: Well, from my research, they do touch on it, Um, but it's it's not a lot of information, to Mm. be honest. Um, So Sharon Carr was born in Belize in 1981 and into poverty. Relocating to England at the age of five, her parents separated shortly after with her mother remarrying um, and serious domestic violence being reported in the relationship. Her mother was once charged with assault after pouring boiling fat over her new partner, causing him to be hospitalised. Despite this, Sharon's early teachers described her as polite, helpful and sociable, only occasionally showing bouts of aggression. Later, she became disruptive and attention-seeking, forcing the school to have social services intervene and placing her in foster care for a brief period, but she was eventually returned to her mother after about one month. On the 7th of June, 1992, Carl randomly stabbed 18-year-old apprentice hairdresser, Katie Ratcliffe, to death as she walked home in the early hours from Ragamuffins nightclub in Camberley. Oh, bitch. In total, Carr stabbed Ratcliffe, who was a stranger to her, 32 times with a six and a half inch knife through her ribs in her heart and in her vagina and anus. Oh God. Some of her, some of her jewelry was then stolen. Following the attack, Ratcliffe's body was taken by car and some associates. Now there's not much. I couldn't, like final I knew you were going to probably ask about this about who the associates were and what happened to them but I can't find a lot of information I'm sure it's there but I and was... they're
0: probably underage and there's all that whole legality of what information Absolutely. they can release yeah and
1: I was a little bit rushed in my preparation tonight for true crime <laughs> and
0: <every laughs> <so>. to <laughs> the stuck stock account Cup of stock going into a meatball.
1: (laughs) Yes, and many other things, many other things this week. So, so Ratcliffe's body was taken by car and some associates and driven to Fanborough, another neighbouring town where she was dragged along a road and then dumped by a cemetery wall. The body was found later that morning by a group of boys as I mentioned before, when police investigated the killing, they noted the brutality of the attack. Some of the knife blows that Ratcliffe had suffered had gone straight through her body. Body, her That's sexual a big knife. It's a big knife, yeah. Her sexual organs had been mutilated, um, and officers found that her. Clothes had been pulled up, but there was no sign of sexual assault. Due to the nature and severity of the injuries inflicted and the fact that the attack appeared to be sexually motivated, police believed the attacker to be a full-grown male. In part because of this, the real killer went unidentified and the case went initially unsolved. So the stabbing of a classmate. So Carr wasn't apprehended for the murder um, of Ratcliffe and she returned to school, but was suspected twice um, in early 1994. Two years to the day after Ratcliffe's murder on the 7th of June, 1994, for Carr attacked 13 year old fellow pupil, Anne Marie Clifford with a knife for no apparent reason in the toilets at Collingwood College. Clifford was stabbed in the back, which punctured her lung, and she nearly died a result of her injuries. The attack was only stopped when five students entered the toilets and intervened, which likely saved the victim's life. Clifford said that Carr was smiling and appeared happy during the attack on her.
0: Yeah, she's messed up.
1: Carr was... Yeah, she's not well at all. Carr was quickly arrested and told officers that she enjoyed stabbing cats and had beheaded a dog.
0: Oh, my God.
1: This was 12. Yeah. She'd already, like, killed Killed an adult, an 18-year-old adult, stabbed a classmate and killed a whole bunch of animals. So her initial imprisonment, after her arrest, but this is for what happened to the student, not what happened to the hairdresser, um, Car was sent to a medical assessment centre where she tried to strangle two members of staff. She was charged with two counts of actual bodily harm for this, in addition to the charges for her attack on Clifford, the girl from school. She was convicted in December 1994 and sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's Pleasure. She was initially held in various psychiatric units but continued to regularly, seriously assault other females and so was transferred to an all-boys unit um, at Acliff Secure Centre. Yeah. Um, in September 1995, she was transferred to Bulwood Hall Young Offenders Institution, where it was thought her aggression and sexualized behavior could be managed better.
0: It sounds like she needs to be in solitary.
1: Yeah. And you have to wonder about what level of meds they were giving her, too. Yeah. Like, seems like she needed to be full medicated just to protect her from other people because that's how dangerous she was. Yeah. She's fucking, and at this point, she was 14, mate. So soon after her transfer to Board Hall, staff discovered that Carr was talking about the killing of Katie Ratcliffe, the hairdresser, to friends and family on the telephone and in her diary. She also admitted to attacking a prison officer who she said she had a crush on and talked about it to another probation officer. Staff alerted police and they seized her writings and drawings. Her diaries were found to contain detail of her sexual excitement at the thought of Ratcliffe's death. And she also commented that she felt jealous of her victim and remarked about the devil and the forces which motivated her.
0: And when it was interesting when you say, like, she attacked the person she had a crush on. She gets sexually excited when she's stabbing. So her, um, you know, what triggers her good things is terrible things.
1: Yeah, you have to wonder what happened to her when she was small. Like you know, because it has it has to come from somewhere, doesn't it? Right. Usually, Um, yeah. So, uh, Carr had written in her diary, "I swear I was born to be a murderer." And in a letter to a friend, wrote, "I'm a killer. Killing is my business, and business is good." Fourteen. She had also drawn pictures of the knife involved detectives questioned her on the murder and she confessed to the killing admitting that she had repeatedly stabbed Ratcliffe she graphically described one particular injury and provided details of which the police had deliberately withheld meaning that she had knowledge that only the killer would have she also knew that a bracelet had been stolen which police had never revealed She helped police film a reconstruction of the murder in which she acted out the murder and, when questioned about the attack, repeatedly laughed about the details. Police found that Carr had a long history of cruelty to animals, having once decapitated a dog with a spade and concluded that she was probably suffering from a form of psychopathic disorder.
0: Yeah, it's never a good sign when animals get fucked over as a child no I'll
1: tell you what though um in getting to this story there was two other stories and I'm not talking about that I know you're probably going to think the Jamie Bolger one um that's a horrific horrific story I wasn't going to do that
0: either
1: but there was two others that led me to this story about young people in England um Mm. who've murdered small children and they've all been like 12 13 like it's
0: scary yeah Yeah, it's it's really full
1: on there's a couple of really really horrible horrible stories but this one I picked because she was the youngest and also it's not as graphic as some of the other other children Jamie
0: Bulger one yeah I looked at that too and I thought no I can't do that
1: but there was a couple of others that were similar circumstances unrelated which were just truly awful Um, so the murder trial, she was charged with murder of Ratcliffe in May 1996. Um, on the 25th of March 1997, after a month-long trial, she was convicted of murder. The jury had deliberated for five hours before reaching a unanimous guilty verdict, choosing to convict her for murder and not manslaughter. Which Why would it be manslaughter anyway? Because she admitted to it. Right.
0: Yeah, and she the She confessed,
1: brutality. and the brutality. Yeah. Um, I guess because she was a child, maybe they were trying to give her a lenient sentence, but that didn't work out anyway. The conviction, meant, the conviction meant that Carr was officially Britain's youngest ever female murderer, having only been 12 at the time of the killing. Um, And then Mary Bell, it talks about, was infamously convicted at age 11 of killing two boys in 1968, but she was convicted of manslaughter, not murder. That's yeah. a horrific story too. I read that one. In coming to this one, it's awful. Um, when sentencing Car, the judge remarked, "What is clear is that you had a sexual motive for this killing, and it's apparent both from the brutal manner in which you mutilated her body and chilling entries in your diary that killing, as you put it, turns you on. You are, in my view, an extremely dangerous young woman." Car was smiling as she left the dock after the conviction.
0: I was thinking that she's probably sitting there thinking, "I don't give a fuck, dude." Yeah. <laughs>
1: She received a minimum of 14 years imprisonment after her trial. Wow. So she got life, but with 14 years, you know, minimum probation, Jesus. good behaviour. Um, a criminal psychologist noted the extremely unusual nature of the case, saying this is a difficult case to understand. One can find precedents of young children killing other young children, but in this case, it was a child killing someone who was almost an adult. She was branded the devil's daughter in the press. The media reported extensively on the historical conviction of such a young murder, highlighting her obsession with death and violence. Carr's case has been noted for being particularly unusual, whilst female murders are themselves uncommon. Females who kill strangers are even more unusual, and the case of a 12-year-old girl killing an adult stranger has been described as unique. Carr remains Britain's youngest female murderer.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: So, um, two things. She's tried to appeal to get out, and yeah. they continually don't let her out. Good. So, she's in her 40s now. And I'd say her um,
0: behavior in prison isn't exemplary.
1: No, she's just prone for violent outbursts, for attacking inmates, attacking guards, attacking, yeah. you know, specialists, whatever. Um, and she quite. And Horribly, but she was also engaged um, to another murderer who was accused of murdering his parents, uh, Robbie Lane. So they were due to marry, um, but then they called it off. Apparently (laughs) after hearing of each other's evil deeds.
0: Oh, wow. Allegedly. Because they probably realised that bitch or that asshole is going to kill me before I kill him or her. (laughs)
1: Well, they were never really going to get out. They were both on life sentences, so <laughs> I believe they were allowed some visitation. Um, it must have been. Do we ever figure out what the deal is with like co-ed prisons
0: yeah, in the UK? That, I think Vinny said that he doesn't think that happens in in Ireland. But maybe they must
1: allow hard. day visits or something. They must allow some well, level of socialization.
0: Out. Yeah. And I think who's remember the, they were on day release. So they probably go out as a group on day release or something, maybe. I don't know.
1: So it says here the wedding plans were thrown in the bin after Sharon read that Lane, Robbie Lane, the guy that he was going, she was going to marry, had gorged his mother's eyes out.
0: Oh, God. Um,
1: and it seems Lane was pretty disgusted by the sadistic murder carried out
0: by his bride-to-be. It's kind of rich, isn't it? It's just like, don't fucking judge me, arsehole.
1: They even brought the rings, which had to be sent back.
0: Oh, no. Hopefully they got store credit for it at least. <laughs> or um, just chisels or something.
1: Both were given life sentences, so arrangements were made for the chaplain to marry them in the chapel of the prison mm. Or a shared prison, I guess.
0: Yeah. Bloody hell. That is terrifying to think that a 12-year-old was capable of that. And it hoped to think as an 18-year-old, like if you were that 18-year-old, you'd be able to fend him off. But fun. Well, it was her, her a and a couple of friends. No. <laughs> so yeah. it
1: wasn't just her on her own. And because they had a car, it tends to be, you tend to think that one of them was old enough to be driving.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: And it also talked about her childhood. She was quite infatuated by older men um or older teenage boys so it might have been a couple of teenage boys that she was with that could easily sort of you know yeah could take control of the situation Mm -hmm. on her behalf and Mm -hmm. maybe they freaked out when she did something and backed off or but they helped take her car take her up to the cemetery where they left her
0: yeah and she At had least a one. knife anyway, too, didn't she? Mm. No escaping that shit.
1: Oh, that wine is gross.
0: <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking forward to getting through it, this podcast, <laughs> just so I can drink something else. Man, it's disgusting. All right. So strap yourself in. This one's a bit of a big one, um, but it's the Sohan murders, but it really covers the investigation behind a lot of it because it's quite Never heard of it. Um, I'd seen a, a special on it before, and when I was talking to Vinny, I'm like, "Which one should I do?" I was looking at some big-profile English cases like Dennis Nielsen and stuff like that, and I thought, if you're doing those ones, you really have to get all the research right and shit mm, like that. Mm. Um, but this one, yeah, it's quite quite tragic and sad. You're but... saying
1: your research is wrong, and <laughs> <laughs> my
0: research is flippant.
1: <laughs> okay. Come- Paste, yeah. paste. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, thank you, Wikipedia. Or so, Murderpedia, if you
1: will.
0: Yes. At 11:45 am on Sunday, the 4th of August 2002, 10 year old Jessica Chapman left her home to attend a barbecue at the home of her best friend, Holly Wells, also 10, in Soham. When she left, Jessica told her parents of her plans to give her friend a necklace engraved with the letter H that she'd per- purchased from her. Her on a recent family holiday to Menorca. So they hadn't seen each other for two weeks, dead excited to catch up. That day, the girls listened to music and played computer games. And in the afternoon, both girls changed into some distinctive replica Manchester United football shirts. So those big red, bright red shirts. Unfamiliar. familiar. Holly's mother took a photograph of the two friends before the children, then ate dinner with the other house guests. They then returned to playing in Wells' room just after 6 pm. Shortly after that, the girls left the Wells residence without informing any of the house guests. Oh no. To purchase sweets from a vending machine at the local sports center. At 8 p.m., Nicola Wells, Holly's mum, entered her daughter's bedroom to invite the girls to say goodbye to the house guests, only to discover that they were both missing.
1: Oh my God.
0: Alarmed, she and her husband Kevin searched the house in nearby streets. Minutes after their daughter's 8:30 p.m. curfew had expired. Nicola phoned Jessica's home to ask if the girls were there, only to learn that Jessica's parents were also worried that their youngest daughter had not returned home.
1: So she wasn't sleeping over. She was supposed to be home by eight thirty.
0: She was meant to head back home. Yeah. Following subsequent frantic efforts by the families of both girls to locate their daughters, they were reported missing by their parents at nine fifty-five p.m. Police launched an intensive search for the missing children. It ended up involving over 400 officers who conducted the um, house-to-house inquiries across Soham and also included hundreds of volunteers who assisted in the search. So you know, and you know who usually involves themselves in these searches, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It ended up being the biggest police hunt in England at the time, but there was also some criticism in the lack of attention the case received in the initial hours after the girls went missing, which is seen as the golden hours of an investigation. So
1: where's Soham? Whereabouts is it?
0: So it's about, it's north of London and it's about half an hour sort of out from Cambridge. Okay. The police released the photograph that Nicola Wells had taken of the children less than two hours before that the girls went missing wearing their Manchester United football shirts. And the parents of both girls stated that their daughters had been wary of talking with strangers, having been warned not to trust people that they did not know from early childhood. So there was confidence they wouldn't have gone off with the stranger willingly. Mm. So suspecting the children had been kidnapped, investigators questioned every registered sex offender in Cambridgeshire and neighbouring Lincolnshire, which included 15 high-risk pedophiles. Isn't it fucking scary knowing that there is high-risk pedophiles out there in the community? And you think they'll just have, like, constant surveillance on them or something, I don't know. Four days after they disappeared, so they've been missing for four days now, CCTV footage of the girls that was recorded minutes before their disappearance was released to the public. The footage depicted them arriving at the local sports centre at 6.30 to get their sweets, and a televised reconstruction of the girls' last known movements was broadcast nationally and both sets of parents held um, interviews pleading for their children's return. So they sort of showed the photo, showed the CT, CCTV footage because they want um, intel now from the public. They're just hoping something
1: will trigger someone's memory.
0: Exactly, yeah. They've got the big right bread. Bright red shirts on together. Several members of the public reported having seen the children in the early days of the investigation, recognizing the jerseys, and most of them provided, but most of them provided no leads. One person who claimed to have spoken with the girls immediately before their disappearance was 28-year-old Ian Huntley, who worked as the caretaker at the girls' school and was also dating Maxine Carr, who was a teaching assistant assistant at the school who knew the girls well and had taught them in the previous year. Huntley and the area where the school is kind of like the community or the village where the girls lived and the caretaker backs onto the school grounds. So it's all very close. Huntley informed investigators on the 5th of August the day after the girls disappeared, that he had had a brief conversation with both girls on his doorstep the previous afternoon. According to Huntley, Jessica and Holly were both happy as Larry. Police were suspicious of his account and a single police officer searched his house on the 5th of August. No incriminating evidence was found, but the officer had noticed that numerous items of clothing on the washing line, um, there there was numerous numbers of... uh, but the officer had noticed that there was numerous items of clothing on the washing line, despite the fact it had been raining. In reference to the evident extensive cleaning of the house's interior, Huntley had stated, excuse the dining room, we had a flood. This officer was unconvinced by his claims and became suspicious of his agitated demeanor. In the weeks following the disappearances, Huntley reluctantly granted several television interviews to media outlets speaking of the general shock in the local community and his dismay at the, being the last person to see the children alive. By the second week of the children's disappearance Huntley had become an unofficial, unofficial spokesman for the community of Salem. His explanation for, the, for this was that he wanted to convey to the media the frustration and despair the community was feeling. In one interview with Sky News he claimed to be holding a glimmer of hope that the children would be found safe and well and he said, and this is quotes, I don't know the girls. I was stood on the front doorstep grooming my dog down. She'd run away and come back a bit of a mess. They just came up and asked how Maxine was. And I just said she wasn't good as she hadn't got the job. And they just says, please tell her that we're very sorry. And off they walked in the direction of the library over there. Sorry for my shitty English accent. <laughs> But he does say... Is that what you were trying to do? I was trying to do. Because he goes, they they just say, please tell her. His girlfriend was also interviewed by the press during the second week of the search for the children. In this live interview, she she corroborated Huntley's claims to have conversed with the children on their doorstep as she'd been bathing before both girls had walked away from their doorstep, adding, I only wish we had asked them what they were doing. If only we knew then what we know now then we could have stopped them or done something about it. Oh,
1: they're both in on it, aren't they?
0: Maxine then stated that the child had expressed her desire to be a bridesmaid at her future wedding. So they were were close, all right? She knew the kids well. Maxine also displayed a thank you card to this reporter, which had recently been given to her by Holly on the last day of the school year, saying, and this is what Maxine was saying, she was just lovely, really lovely before making a direct appeal to the children. Just get on the phone and just come home. Or if somebody's got them, just let them go. It didn't go unnoticed by the media that she had referred that Holly in the past tense. She was just lovely, just lovely. And the girls hadn't been found at this stage. Mm, mm. Maxine then, uh, having participated in the search for the children, Huntley regularly asked police officer questions such as how their investigation was progressing and how long DNA evidence could survive before deteriorating. One of these officers observed three vertical scratches on his left jaw, each measuring measuring approximately three centimeters, which he claimed had been recently inflicted by his dog. On the 16th of August, 12 days after the girl's disappearance, Huntley and Maxine were first questioned formally by police. Both were questioned for approximately seven hours and provided witness statements before being placed with family members. Police had also received information from several residents who had recognised Huntley on the TV um, interviews that he had given and recalled that he had been accused of rape several years earlier. Others said, also said that contrary to her televised claims, Maxine had been socialising in Grimsby Town Centre, which is a fair way away from Soham um, on the night of the girl's disappearance and that she was not at home in Soham, as she'd claimed in the media. She said she was in the bath, didn't she? Mm. So the same evening, police conducted a thorough search of, with the same evening that they'd after they'd questioned her and put them with their families. <laughs> um, the police conducted a thorough search of both Huntley's residence and the grounds of the Soham Village College, the school, where Huntley had worked as a senior caretaker as the couple remained under police watch se- separate locations outside of Soham. Each room of Huntley's home had evidently been recently and meticulous, meticulously cleaned, and the search of the home revealed many items of major importance to the investigation. The evidence and artefacts were not made public at the time, but the items recovered from the school grounds included items of clothing the girl had been, girls had been wearing when last seen, their charred and cut Manchester United shirts were recovered from a bin in a hangar at a place at Huntley's work. Fibres recovered from these gar- garments were a precise match to samples received, retrieved from Huntley's body and clothing, as well as from his home, and his fingerprints were also recovered from the bin. Oh. Huntley's car was also forensically examined, which revealed that the car had been recently extensively cleaned and traces of a mixture of brick dust, chalk and concrete were found in the car. A cover from the rear seat was missing and the lining of the boot had been recently removed and replaced with ill-fitting section of household carpet. Having discovered the children's clothing at the school, police decided to arrest Huntley and Carr. So at about 12.30pm on the 17th of August, Um, 13 days after the disappearance and the day after the searches of the Huntley's residence and workplace, a gameskeeper discovered the bodies of the girls lying side by side in a five-foot irrigation ditch more than 10 miles east of Selim. He immediately reported the discoveries... But not at the school? No, so 10 miles east of um, the Selim. He immediately reported the discoveries to the police and when their bodies were found, their corpses were in an advanced state of decomposition. In an apparent effort to destroy forensic evidence, the murderer or murderers had attempted to burn both bodies. Despite this, investigators rapidly deduced who the two victims were most likely, who who the two victims most likely were, and that they had not died at the location of their discovery. During initial questioning, Huntley refused to answer any questions and appeared evasive, confused and emotionally detached, often drooling during during the police's attempts to question him in an effort to feign mental illness. This left police with no option but to refer Huntley to a mental hospital to undergo an extensive psychological evaluation. Maxine, however, quickly confessed to detectives that she had lied about her whereabouts and her partner's actions on the 4th of August. Shortly before she would returned to Seoul from Grimsby, three days later, Huntley had claimed to her in a phone call to have seen the girls shortly before dis- their disappearance, admitting, the thing is, Maxine, they came in our house. According to her, Huntley then informed her the children had entered their home in order that Holly could stanch her nosebleed. She had a nosebleed, he said. He then claimed to her that Jessica sat on the bed as he helped Holly control the bleeding from her nose, before both girls had then left their home. Um, And he also referenced to Maxine, one of the 1998 rapes that he had committed, but had earlier claimed to her to have been falsely accused of in the phone call. He then began voicing concerns as to again being falsely accused of his involvement on this occasion, also claiming his previous arrest had caused him to suffer a nervous breakdown, so he's blackmailing her emotionally. Basically, she had therefore later agreed to concoct to concoct a false story with her partner to support his version of events.
1: She has to be the dumbest bitch ever.
0: There is, um, and it came out afterwards. And then there's a lot of specials—ten years on, twenty years on—from the Soham murders. That do like there's a special out. Uh, uh, England is releasing a like three part mini series called Maxine this year. That's sort of her, his wife's sort of journey, I guess, about it through it all. So, so they was, were
1: married. I thought they were getting they were,
0: married. No, they were just, oh, sorry, did I say wife? His partner. Oh, they, okay. um, they, but accounts have come out where there was extreme physical abuse, like where he'd bash the shit out of her. And when you see her in the interviews, you can see she looks like a, Broken woman, as well. Mm, mm. Um, and also, other counts of um, child molestation and stuff with him. So, he's an absolute downright scumbag. No excuse, but she's obviously a battered woman in no this excuse. situation. No yeah. excuse after being informed of the discovery of the children's bodies and the evidence of Huntley's guilt, including his fingerprints being recovered from the bin in which the children's clothes had been found, and that the dust and concrete that they'd found in the car was of the same type used to pave the road leading to where the girls' bodies were found. Oh, God. And it was around that wheel arches and on the pedals of his car and shit. Maxine burst into tears, shouting, No, he can't have been. It can't have been him, he hasn't done it. Despite these revelations, she initially remained emotionally attached to Huntley and professed her belief in his innocence to both the police and her family. Huntley's mental state was assessed to determine whether he suffered from any form of mental illness and whether he was mentally competent to stand trial. It was concluded that although psychopathic, Huntley did not suffer from any major mental or psychotic illness and was deemed mentally competent to stand trial. Good. Huntley was charged with two counts of murder to which he entered a plea of not guilty. Maxine was charged with two counts of assisting an offender and one count of perverting the course of justice. During the trial, it was revealed that on the last day of the friend's lives and by pure chance, they had happened to pass by Huntley's home at a time when Maxine was not present. Huntley had deliberately lured the girls into his home and that both girls had been murdered shortly thereafter. With cell site analysis showing Huntley had switched off Jessica's mobile either outside his home or within the grounds of the school after both girls had been murdered. Through mobile phone records and eyewitness accounts, Maxine was placed in Grimsby on the evening in question. And it was also revealed that the site where the two friends' bodies were discovered was a location that Huntley had been known to go to for his plane spotting hobby. Fucking weirdo. Spots planes, for fuck's sake. And where he assumed they were unlikely to be discovered.
1: They don't sound like the sharpest tools in the shed, both of them, do they?
0: No, no, bless, bless There's a few chromosomes
1: missing or something.
0: And you wait till you see the pictures of him. He's this little fucking douche, little scumbag. Due to the extensive state of decomposition of the bodies, the coroner had been unable to determine the precise course of death for either child or whether the girls had been sexually assaulted before or after death. But it was most likely that both girls had died of asphyxiation. There was no broken bones. There was no holes in the skull or anything like that. Yeah. During the trial, Huntley admitted both girls had died in his house, but denied that either death had been intentional. Listen to this he said that the girls had entered his bathroom to stem a mild nosebleed so i think he'd come up with this nosebleed story because they covered oh, the final... blood traces exactly yeah. exactly so he said that both girls had entered entered his bathroom to stem a mild nosebleed holly had been suffering when the girls walked by his home the bath was already filled with water as he'd been cleaning his dog that afternoon In the bathroom, he had slipped and accidentally knocked Holly into his bath while helping her stanch her nosebleed, and this unintentional act had caused her to drown as he panicked and froze. He he further claimed Jessica had witnessed the accident and began repeatedly screaming, you pushed her, and then he had then accidentally suffocated her while attempting to stifle her screaming, which had preoccupied his attention as opposed to ensuring Holly did not drown. By the time his state of panic had waned, it had been too late to save the lives of either children. During this, Maxine has gets called to the witness stand and she's also turned on him at this stage during the trial and accepts that he was a murderer, calling him out. Questioned about the effort she had made to mislead both police and the media to divert suspicion from her partner, Maxine emphasised she'd only lied to the police, the media, and anyone who asks to protect Huntley who had repeatedly assured her of his innocence, of any wrongdoing and his fear of being fitted up by the police for the girl's disappearance should they discover the 98 rape allegation made against him. The jury returned a major verdict guilty on two counts of murder against Huntley. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. Huntley's face showed no emotion as the verdict was announced. Maxine pleaded guilty to the charge of perverting the course of justice and not guilty to the charge of assisting the offender. The jury had accepted her insistence that she'd only lied to police and media in order to protect Huntley because prior to the arrest, she had believed his claims of innocence.
1: So she believed, she did not know the girls. she claimed she did not know the girls were dead, yeah. that they just entered the premises and she was covering up for them for him because they were there and he didn't want him to be incriminated, but it wasn't until their were, bodies were found that she realised they were dead.
0: And when they asked her about, what about when you say, oh, she was just lovely, using the girls in past tense. She said, oh, that's because I taught them in the past. But there's also a claim that one woman reckons they saw Huntley and Maxine um, when she came home. He'd lifted the boot of his car and she stood there and was gasped and, like, taken back. And um, they noticed the neighbour watching and he shut the boot of the car really quickly. So there's also talk that they think he'd shown her the bodies. And she was just like, holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck.
1: But the time frame wouldn't really have fitted because they would be able to determine at least a period of death. If she didn't come home till three days after they went missing, Mm. if he had gotten rid of the bodies by then, they should have been able to at least pinpoint that the three days that, that, you know, like if she wasn't there...
0: Whether or not the bodies were there or not, how long exactly? The how in, long?
1: Like, uh, like within within like it's generally like within at least twenty four hours they can pinpoint it. Yeah. You know, like even with them burned and stuff like that, they'd
0: still know based on de- decomposition like how long they'd been deceased for. Oh well, and that's what they're saying. Like when they she were, they were dead in the trunk. Uh, that's what they're assuming.
1: Ah, oh, not just yeah. like blood Tired stains up. or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could ah. have been blood. Yeah, no, I think it was, they were assuming he'd seen, they'd seen the bodies in the back. He'd shown her. So who knows how much she actually did really know. Yeah. Um, so the jury accepted her insistence that she'd only lied to protect the media. We said that, did I?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. As such, she was not found guilty of assisting an offender and she was sentenced to serve three and a half years in prison for perverting the course of justice. So she's out now. Oh, since, the, since being incarcerated, Huntley has been attacked numerous times by inmates, including having scalding water pulled over him, beatings, etc., sucked in cover. Mm. On the 5th of September 2006, Huntley attempted to kill himself in jail, which resulted in his hospitalization, and a thorough search of his cell was conducted where they found a cassette tape. This cassette tape is believed to be what would be his post confession posthumous mm. confession. So he'd recorded the tape, went to kill himself. That was going to be his last confession. confession. He claims to have confessed to having murdered both girls to Maxine. He reckons he'd told Maxine he'd killed the girls prior to their arrest and his plans to confess to authorities to which Huntley alleged Maxine had slapped him in the face and informed him to pull himself together as she did not wish to lose the teaching position she had yearned for all her life. Huntley further alleges that Maxine had encouraged him to burn the bodies in an attempt to destroy all forensic evidence, linking him to the crime.
1: Well, if it was domestic violence, that's typical behaviour of someone still trying to bring someone down when they don't have control over them any longer.
0: Boom, that's exactly So that what doesn't really
1: knock another nail in the coffin nah. for me. It could still go either way.
0: I, I say the exact same thing in a couple of sentences. So it's believed that Huntley had agreed to have made this recording for a fellow prisoner who had hoped to later sell the confession to the media after his release.
1: Oh, of course.
0: In, in, return, dog. in return for being provided with the antidepressants that he'd used to attempt suicide. So this person had given him the antidepressant stack. Mm. And then he was like, if you get me that, I'll give you a tape so you can sell it. I think the stuff he says about Maxine is bullcrap. It's come to light afterwards through many witnesses, how he used to physically abuse the shit out of her. So this would be his last attempt to try and fuck her over for turning against him. But yeah, still in prison. And wait, and I mean, I don't want you to wait and see but when you see the picture of these two beautiful little angels it's fucking heartbreaking
1: oh my god I'm totally gonna watch the special
0: yeah so that's that
1: that was awful
0: yeah it's so sad but it's funny because like the police investigation in it is super interesting in the way Mm. that they sort of get their into No, and... it's
1: him like have a hunch from the very beginning and just have to find the evidence to build the case. But sometimes that can go the other way too. They 100%. can get stuck on the hunch and then they try to build the case yeah. around
0: And then he's you know, from act the doll. suspect. And you see him when he's talking like he's unassuming like he doesn't look like someone that would do something like this but he just does look like a little fucking knacker scumbag. There was a guy who said he saw them um, having a fight well before this, before they moved to Um And he was literally had her in a headlock out the front and just punching her <gasps> in the same spot in the head. And the guy said to him, Oi, mate, rah, rah, rah. And he said something like, come up here. So he ran up the stairs to stop him. And as he pushed him, the guy, um, Huntley, fell over. Um, because then the whole time when he was telling him to fuck off, mm-hmm. he's still just punching her. She fell on the ground. The guy, um, she, he threw her to the ground, went for the guy, and then Huntley got knocked to the ground and then Maxine jumped up screaming, what have you done to him? What have you done to him? And he, the guy said, you guys deserve each other. And left, which is super sad. Oh. Mm. Not nice. No.
1: Such a Debbie Downer every time we do these episodes, isn't it?
0: I know. But we, know we're what's... both
1: finishing with like... it.
0: Do you know what the silver lining is? We get to record one episode after this and we get to drink real wine.
1: I <laughs> know I'm good. Luckily, do you know I nearly didn't buy another bottle of wine? I just went, oh, because I've got so much shit tomorrow- to do tomorrow. I say this every week, don't
0: I? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to go. Am I
1: fucking kidding? Seriously. Uh, well, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the last of our season's international true crime special. This is also the last official episode of season four. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on our journey this season. We hope you loved it as much as we have.
0: But we we aren't done just yet. We will, of course, be doing our annual Christmas special with our beloved partners in life and crime, Tyler and Vinny. Make sure to tune in for that special episode on Tuesday, the 6th of December. Good night, you stupid bitches. But before we say good night, actually... Jingle bells, motherfuckers. Jingle bells, motherfuckers. And also, please be gone curse of season four.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Away with you.
0: That's why we're officially ending season four now. It's not going to curse the fucking Christmas episode, I tell you. Absolutely. Good night, you stupid bitches.
1: Good night. Good
0: night. Yeah, that stupid bitch. Mm -hmm. He's a stupid bitch, what a stupid bitch, that stupid
1: bitch.